Good morning, everyone. If you could have everybody come into the sanctuary, we'll start right away. My name is Michael Fontanelli. I'm a deacon here at church, and we welcome you even as we celebrate this Christmas season. We would like to just go over some family news. If you have the paper bulletin, just come follow along with me. Or right in front of you, there is a card with a QR code that you can access it online on your phone. First off, there's just an opportunity to give here at the church. Uh, just year-end giving reminder that please, if you're planning to send your uh, donations, please uh, donate it now or give it now. Don't wait till December 31st because if you want it to be part of your 2023 tax receipts, better to give it now even on your tax. It is the date the donations are received in order to put it on your 2023 tax receipts. Cash and checks are also available. There's a donation box at the back. First off, some exciting family news. We have two uh, engagements happening here at our church. Congratulations to Aiden and Genevieve and to Stafa and Janae. Very, very exciting. Um, I'll just quote Pastor Clint. Apparently, love is in the air, so breathe it in. <laughs> okay, I'll move on. <laughs> um, after the service, there is a North Com Northeast Community Group. You're welcome to join. Pastor Rob will be leading that one, so you could join in after the benediction. There is youth group. I believe this is a Chris Christmas party, December 22nd, 7 p.m. Jared Carey is the one who leads that. It will be downstairs in the fellowship hall. And just announcements for next Sunday. Next Sunday, there is no Sunday school, but we will have two Sunday service, two Sunday services, 9.30 a.m. and 10.45. It will be duplicate services. And then in the, in the evening, there will be an evening service, 5 p.m. So you're welcome to bring any of your friends, family to those services, and it'll be a good time for all of us to rejoice and hear the gospel. So pass it on to Pastor Paul. Well, welcome here this morning and this Sunday before Christmas Eve. For a call to worship, let's turn to Psalm 121. In your Bible, Psalm 121. And this is the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, even as you have kept watch over Israel and have led them to the promised land, you are with us, the new Israel in Christ, as you lead us to our awaited land, namely heaven. And you know us intimately as children, and you love us as such. So we pray that this morning you will move our hearts to praise and worship as we consider your care for us, and we consider that your watch is not distant as we consider your ways as you walk with us through this life. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You stand, we're going to sing together. Our practice at this time is to have a time of repentance and a time of 
confession. And to that end, would you turn with me to Hebrews 13, and we will look at verse 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, we need to have a contented heart and when we don't have a contented heart, we can become fearful. We can become fearful of this world. We can be fearful of missing out. We can be fearful that we're not going to make something of ourselves. And these words that the Lord will not leave you or forsake you was spoken to Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. And that surely looked like death to them. But we have a faithful God who is with us. Even as we walk through this world, we have a faithful God who is with us. And because of what Christ has done, then verse 15 can be true of us. And this is our assurance. Look at verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And it's through him. It's through him that we can be people of praise. And praise flows from a contented heart. And it is through Christ. And so as we cling to Christ and we confess our sin, we find rest for discontented souls. Because he becomes everything and has done everything, and has made us into all that we can imagine we would ever want to be. So let us pray. Father, as we bow our hearts and heads before you this morning, we acknowledge that we are not content as we should be. And our lack of contentment leads us into all kinds of sin. If we aren't pursuing money as a means of gain, we still pursue personal gain through relationships, pleasure, the things that this world says we have to have and the things that we have to be. And we put ourselves first. So much of our sin is a result of clamoring after those things that the world offers, but which are only satisfied in you. We are all guilty of this, Father. And we pray that you will give us a rest for our souls and a contentment in the lot that you have chosen for us. And for some, it may be difficult. And for some, 
it just may seem like we're walking through the valley of death. But we can be content, for you have overcome this world. And you have made us into a people for your glory. We Please forgive us, Lord, for our sin. And as we prepare to hear the message by Pastor Gavin this morning, we pray that you will do a life-changing work in us. Draw people who don't know the peace that they can have in you to a new life in Christ. And strengthen the saints who are weary and need to be reminded of your love. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Part of our practice is also to highlight a, a doctrinal statement, and this comes from our Congregational Confession of Faith. Number two, called the one true God, it says, We believe in one living and true God, an infinite, simple, and personal spirit, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love, who infallibly foreknows all that shall come to pass, who concerns himself mercifully in the affairs of men, and who hears and answers prayer. Thus, we can walk through this life with all of its troubles and all of its toils. Amen. We stand, we're going to sing together, and then Pastor Gavin will come up and give us the message this morning. If you open your Bibles to Psalm 23, the psalm we've just sung. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, a psalm of David. This is the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we come to your word now hungry to be fed, hungry for our souls to be satisfied, hungry to see our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would deal with souls this morning, that you would manifest the presence of Christ in a tangible way, even as we hear the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, the, the winter's nights are, have drawn in, haven't they? Darkness surrounds us, I think, about 4.30 in the afternoon nowadays, and no one really loves that, do they? The darkness, that is. Darkness can be scary. Small children, don't they? They ask mum and dad to leave the light on 
In the hallway outside the bedroom at night, as in their minds, it, they're running riot with imaginary things under the bed. And even the shadows from the hallway light cast uh, shadows in the room that then take on a life of their own. But you know, deep darkness can be terrifying for a person. You know, when you can't see a thing, uh, when despair and bereavement and fear and disappointment have literally gripped your soul so violently that you're paralyzed and you even feel the, the shadow of death even looming large in your life. So even as we anticipate in this next week a, a joy-filled Christmas, for many of us, I, I mentioned this last night at the carol service, for many of us this time of year reminds us of the dark valleys in which we walk. The valleys we experience will come in all types. All of you walk through them. Valleys of loss and loneliness. Valleys of financial stress and fatigue. Valleys of relational strain and unrealistic expectations. And for some of you here today, the darkness is very deep in the valley. But we all go through valleys because every Christian lives in Psalm 23. So there's comfort for you here. There's comfort for us all here today. You might remember from the first sermon I preached on this text a few weeks ago, I'm using the, the, the late Old Testament scholar Alec Motier's outline for the psalm. Many people see only two metaphors in the psalm. The shepherd in verses 1 to 4, and then the host in verses 5 to 6. But Motier sees three. He sees the shepherd with his sheep in verses 1 to 3. He sees the companion with his traveler in verse 4. And he sees the host with his guest in verses 5 to 6. The Lord, my shepherd. The Lord, my companion. The Lord, my host. And underpinning these three images are three great confessions that run through the spine of the psalm. I shall not want. I will not fear and I shall dwell. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he is my companion, I will not fear. And because he is my host, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This message is, is the second of three. It's on verse four. The Lord, my companion. And even so, the shepherd theme continues, doesn't it, in verse four, because the companion who is with me in the dark valley carries a rod and a staff. David the psalmist wants to rivet our attention on this aspect of the shepherd's care, his companionship, his presence. Now excluding the title, there are actually 20 lines of Hebrew poetry when it's laid out in the original language. You are with me, line 10, right in the center. The shepherd's presence is central in the psalm. So considering this, then, I want to just linger on this one verse today, and we want to mine for some gold under three headings. The shepherd's direction, the shepherd's location, and the shepherd's protection. The shepherd's direction, the shepherd's location, shepherd's protection. You should have an outline in the bulletin there. Firstly, the shepherd's direction. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so we see a transition in the psalm, don't we? From green pastures and still waters to a dark valley. Peaceful scenes give way 
to dangerous paths. As some commentators put it, it's a valley of deep darkness. Some of you may have a little note there or a number in your Bibles that points to the bottom of the page where it's a valley of deep darkness. Or, as a, a literal translation, the valley of death shade. Death shade. In David's time, in the latter half of the year, having been alone with a shepherd for months in the mountains, the sheep needed to be driven to find greener pastures on the way back home. But often they must walk through dark valleys to get to the next green meadow. And there's the danger of wild beasts on the way. And these valleys in Palestine were deep and narrow gorges or ravines with these sheer sides. And as you look up, you could barely see the sky. And, and they're subject to rock falls and, and flash floods. And they have dangerous enemies lurking in the dark crevices. Ultimately, the shadow of death looms large in these kinds of valleys. And the point I want us to see here is that the path through the valley comes from the shepherd's direction. The path through the valley comes from the shepherd's direction. It's the shepherd's valley. He leads the sheep into it. You see, verse 4 links back to verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Okay? Well, righteous paths sometimes involve pathways through deep, dark valleys. And the shepherd takes his sheep through them. And of course, the, the deepest darkness in the valley of the shadow is the shadow of our own death, isn't it? Or someone else's death. It's, it's true, isn't it, that from the moment we are born, we're always dying. And no matter what, the shadow of death casts itself across our lives. And as the days go on and as the sun goes down on our lives, the shadow gets longer. It's true, isn't it? It's true that for those of us who are older in here, I think the longer you go on, perhaps the more surprised you are at the depths of pain in ministering to aged loved ones or loved ones in any kind of need and even the loss of loved ones around you the longer you go on in life. In fact, in one sense, the, the older you get, the more you lose. And yet God, in His kindness and wisdom, lets you experience loss in greater amounts, mercifully gradual amounts, but greater amounts at times in order for you to experience greater amounts of His grace to fill the gap by the loss, you see. Therefore, we need to see that we walk through the valley of deep darkness at the shepherd's direction. So friends, know this, the pilgrim's progress is not all about mountaintop experiences. We like to think it is, like to hope it is. Even Psalm 23 is depicted in children's books and Sunday school paintings as this gentle pastoral scene. Google Psalm 23 and see what images come up as, as a majority. But where's the valley in these images? So often the valley is forgotten because the Christian life involves the valley. The dark valleys of infertility of difficult marriages, of prolonged singleness when you really desire marriage, persecution for your faith, shattered dreams, sickness. Any of you experiencing any of those things here this morning? And you say, it wasn't supposed to be like this. Well, it was. Because God can ordain that difficulty, even bad things happen without being the author of evil. 
Adam and Eve fell into sin, but he didn't take God by surprise. And God can ordain disaster for no fault of our own, and he is not unjust. Satan was the immediate cause of Job's tragic suffering, but Job knew the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we see this ultimately with the Lord Jesus, don't we? Do you remember what Peter says in Acts 4? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you hear it there in the text? Who killed Jesus? Wicked men killed Jesus. Who killed Jesus? God killed Jesus. Ultimately, God ordained the death of his own son, even as the son willingly laid down his life. Wicked men were the immediate cause, but the greatest evil in history was superintended by God as the means to salvation for many. God purposed Jesus' darkest valley in a lifelong road through the valley to the valley of the shadow of death. So, if God planned the valley of the cross, then whatever my valley, depression or discouragement, or even death itself, whatever my valley, Jesus has walked it before me and he has directed me into it. It's in his hands. He is not lost. He is not unaware. He sees the end and he's leading me through it. And remember, these are paths of righteousness. He leads me in for what reason? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. Hear that little phrase there in verse 3. That's a rock-solid guarantee that he will be glorified in the valley through which you walk right now. Think of your valley. God will be glorified. God is totally committed above all else to the glory of his name. And our sufferings are, are swept up and folded into that. Joseph sums up this principle when he says to his brothers, you know, his brothers who had, had betrayed him, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And note that the, the sheep, they don't walk in the valley, they walk through the valley. My valley is not my destination. It's the journey to my destination. Remember that. And notice also that the sheep walk through. They don't run through. Now, I, I loved my chocolate when I was a, a kid, just talking to some of the elders about that, and some of the congregation over the last few weeks. I loved my chocolate as a kid, and I still love it now. In the town that uh, I lived in in southeast London uh, when I was young, there was this shortcut you could take to get to the candy shop, uh, but it ran through this uh, alleyway to get there. You had to take the alleyway to, to, to take the shortcut to get to the candy shop. Otherwise, you had to go the long way. And the alley was a bit dark, and it was a bit murky, and there's one or two unsavory characters that lurked around in the alley. Bit scary for an eight-year-old. Amazing that my parents had me on the street at eight. You know, it was tough in those days in southeast London. Get out there. The valley's dodgy, but if you make it back, that's okay. No, it was scary for an eight-year-old. But you know what? Impatience for chocolate overcame my fear of the alley 
Nevertheless, I didn't walk through that dark alley. I ran for my life through the dark alley. But the Christian in the dark valley doesn't run through. He walks through in a steady advance, comforted, calm, and composed. The seasoned saint in suffering or dying is composed. He walks, keeps to the old pace. You need to pray for that. Pray for it. Pray the Lord would cause Christ to grow so much in your heart that you would keep the pace. And the only way that you can walk through the valley of deep darkness is to know you're perfectly secure. That's the only way you can walk and not run. To know it's the shepherd's valley and the shepherd's direction, but also to know that you're in the shepherd's presence, which leads us to the second heading, the shepherd's location. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Here we come to the second of these great confessions that run through the spine of the psalm, remember. I will not fear. I will not fear. But why will David not fear? Why will he fear nothing harmful in the dark valley? Because of the shepherd's location. For you are with me. And now notice something. David has turned from talking about the shepherd in verses 1 to 3 to talking to the shepherd in verse 4. Because remember this, when you enter the dark valley, the theologizing stops and communion starts. You are with me, your rod, your staff, personally speaking to God. It's true, isn't it? Suffering draws out deeper communion with God. It turns you from speaking about God to speaking to Him as your companion. Having someone with you in the darkness is key, isn't it? Um, a few weeks ago, we were looking after our little grandchildren, Charlie and Ellie. At my age, you're going to get grandchildren illustrations, okay? You got one last time, here's another one. My grandson wanted to get some toys from downstairs in the basement. Off you go, I said, and down the stairs he went. After a moment, I heard this little tiny voice, Granddad, it's dark down here. You'll be fine, I said. It's not that dark. It is over there where the toys are, he replied. He said, I'm frightened. You come with me. Well, you can imagine, it's hard to res resist grandchildren at the best of times, but never when they're scared. Granddad's coming, I said. And as soon as I arrived next to him, he intrepidly marched through the darkness into the toy corner. All fear gone. Why? Granddad was with him in the dark. It's good to know you're not alone. God is with you in the dark. Loneliness, you know, is common, and loneliness is a killer. In fact, statistics say it's more deadly than obesity or smoking or high blood pressure. Amazing. Surgeon General of Canada recently announced that loneliness is an epidemic. Of course, COVID exacerbated what was already a problem. They put on cigarette packets, smoking kills. Well, loneliness kills. But for you as a Christian, for you as a Christian, you're never alone. Never alone. You can say, you are with me, Lord. You are with me. The comfort comes, not because the, the presence of the shepherd means that the darkness isn't real. Oh, it's real. And it's painful. 
But the comfort comes not from the elimination of the darkness, but from the presence of the one who is with me in the darkness. A.W. Tozer said this, The only safe place for the sheep is by the side of the shepherd, because the devil does not fear the sheep. He just fears the shepherd. So the question I want to ask you is, are you staying close to the shepherd such that you actually realize his powerful presence in a tangible way? Are you remembering his presence? Are you praying, I will not fear because you are with me? Are you hearing his voice in his word? Are you amongst other sheep who are staying in close proximity to him? I already mentioned that this verse is the, is the center of the psalm, and that's the way that Hebrew poetry often emphasizes something, by, by coming to a crescendo in the middle and filling in the color either side. The greatest truth in the psalm is that the one who is by my side is my shepherd, the Lord, and he is revealed to me in the Lord Jesus, my good shepherd. When all others fall away, he is never far away. He is right next to you. Jesus loves to be with his people. Do, do you think of that often? What does our Lord say to his disciples? I will be with you until the end of the age. What a thing that is. Do you, do you realize how much he loves you? Not just in a general sense that, that Jesus loves the church, but in a, a personal sense that he loves you. He loves you personally and passionately. Jesus really loves me. Jesus really wants to be with me and me to be with him. I think one of the most moving things for me as a pastor is handing out the bread and cup during the Lord's Supper. As I hand out the elements to individuals, it brings home the glorious truth, Christ died for him. Christ died for her. He loves them so much. He will never leave them. That's why Christians in the New Testament are, are most often described, you know how they're most often described as? In Christ. In Christ. Your union with Jesus is the defining thing about you. He is with you because you are in Him. In the Gospel of John, on the eve of His crucifixion, Jesus says this to His closest friends, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus, the heavenly bridegroom, dies for his bride and prepares her place in the heavenly home. But he loves her so much, he won't, even, he won't send anyone else to collect her. When you love someone like this, you don't send someone else to do the job. We've had a few recent engagements in our church. And I know that Staffer, David, and Aidan didn't send someone else to ask Janae and Sarah and Genevieve, respectively, if they would marry them. They didn't send a telegram or a text. At least I hope they didn't. I hope you didn't, lads, as we've been teaching you wrong. They went and did it themselves. And now they eagerly wait for the day when they can be with their betrothed in the fullness of marriage. Jesus comes himself to die for his bride, and now the risen Christ wants his bride with him, face to face with him. 
Listen to how the Puritan Thomas Goodwin in his work, The Heart of Christ, tries to explain this desire of Christ to be with his people. He sa- Goodwin says this, it's as if he, that is Jesus, had said, the truth is, I cannot live without you. Heaven shall not hold me, nor my Father's company, if I have not you with me. My heart is so set upon you. That is stretching English language to really explain the heart of Christ. Isn't that what Jesus prays to his Father in in John 17? Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Goodwin comments on that text in John 17. He says, as if, he's, as if this is Jesus, I have thy company, Father. I must have theirs too. I will or I desire that they be where I am. Amazing. Friends, we are remarkably drawn up into the life and love of the triune God so that we can truly say that the love with which the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father is the same love they have for us. For you and me, have you ever thought about that? He really loves me. No, He really loves me. Nothing in me to cause it, all in Him to cause it. And that means it's not going to stop. My love for him is often weak, but his love for me is never weak. The Lord is my companion, united to me. He is with me in the dark valley. I will not fear. So we've seen the shepherd's direction. He takes me through the valley, and the valley is his valley. We've seen the shepherd's location. He is present with me in the valley as my companion. And now we see the shepherd's presence means the shepherd's protection, which is the third heading. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, when you turn up at one of these multi-purpose gyms, uh, or sports arenas would be better, you see what kind of sports people are going to play by what they carry with them, right? Rackets for tennis, cleats or boots for soccer, stick and skates and helmet for hockey and so on. They're the tools of your trade. As you turn up, people can see what you're about by what you carry. A few years ago, if I'm not mistaken, we heard the story of some folks coming to our church because they'd passed by on one Sunday and they'd seen so many of our people walking into the building carrying their Bibles in their hands. See, it said something about us. These people are about the book. More than that, they're about the God of the book. And so you see the shepherd's presence means his protection and the rod and staff that he carries shows what he's about. See, his presence is not just some vague sentiment. It means his active protection. It means his active protection. God comforts us in our valleys by manifesting his protective presence with us. And practically seen, this is in his rod and his staff. Look at the comfort his protection brings. First, his rod. His rod is a weapon of defense. So a rod, a a cudgel with with metal even embedded in the end is what the shepherd would carry. So Psalm 2 verse 9 can say of the Lord's anointed one, you shall break them with a rod of iron. So the shepherd protects the sheep against wild animals and enemies with a rod 
of iron, as it were. He defends them and he defeats their enemies. Here is your comfort. The Lord is your shield. and The Lord is your defender. You might feel very, very fragile here today. You might be struggling with a repeated sin, perhaps. Perhaps you're feeling the temptation to sin, feeling the pull of the world even, even experiencing spiritual attack. Well, imagine Jesus, Jesus' rod as the cross. He has smashed to smithereens your enemies of sin and Satan and death, immortal combat at Calvary. Now let the fact that Jesus is next to you with rod in hand put strength in your stride as he leads you through the valley to the other side. He will not leave you. Good shepherds don't leave the sheep. He'll protect you by defending you from the enemy. How confident are you in Jesus' power? How confident are you in Jesus' power? Dale Ralph Davis says, Jesus Christ our shepherd is no emaciated weakling. Our shepherd is a warrior, as shepherds had to be. No one will snatch his sheep out of his hand. Quoting John chapter 10. David had been a warrior shepherd. He'd killed lions and bears to protect his sheep. Make no mistake, the God shepherd who is with you in the valley is no wimp. He is a man of war. And there is nothing in the valley that he can't overcome. There's no evil in the shadows which he is not infinitely powerful to defeat. No contest. But comfort not only comes from his defense and his defeat of enemies with the rod, it also comes from his discipline with the staff. The staff, a longer implement hooked end, used to steer the sheep and, and pull them back from wandering into danger. The rod for defense, the staff for discipline. To discipline the sheep, to keep them climbing out of the valley, keep them walking through the valley. We need both tools. Some of us want Jesus' protection from enemies, but we don't want his protection from ourselves, from our remaining sin. Remember, the Lord disciplines us through suffering. It hurts, but he disciplines those he loves. Look this afternoon at Hebrews 12 and see how God is like a a loving father in the way he disciplines his children. Some of us here today need to listen to the word of God pulling us back from sin. But you know, we might also need to hear that word coming through the loving biblical correction of others in our fellowship. This discipline is a comfort when it's wisely given and well received. Also remember, your elders are under shepherds who carry a rod and staff. The work of pastors is sometimes heartbreaking and is very painful as they work to bring back straying sheep. Some won't submit themselves to meaningful church membership, which involves submitting themselves to the teaching of the elders, because they don't mind the preaching, but they do mind that staff on the shoulder gently pulling them back from error. So they avoid accountability and they don't enter into membership. The work of a father as a family shepherd, is, is similar. Defending against enemies, but also disciplining and guiding. Always gently, always patiently, but always bringing comfort to those in their care. And in an age that perhaps despises authority and discipline, this aspect of the shepherd's care is often resisted. 
and so it results in non-use or wrong use with respect to leadership in the home and church and wrong reception and wrong response from those under godly shepherding care. But true sheep, they love the fullness of the shepherd's protection. They love his rod and his staff. They love his defense and his discipline and it comforts them. They're the ones that are comforted. So there it is. The shepherd's direction, the shepherd's location, the shepherd's protection. Perfect, sovereign love designed to drive away fear in us and instill trust in him. That's what we sang in the hymn, isn't it? This is a, this is a psalm of trust. Trust in him as we walk through the valleys of deep darkness all the way home. So as we close in the next couple of minutes, I want you to hear the comfort of your God once more in that central verse of the psalm as the psalmist confesses, you are with me. I want you to hear Jesus say, I am with you. I am with you in the valleys of your cycles of anxiety, in the valleys of the effects of abuse in your life, in the valleys of your lonely nights of insomnia, in the valleys when you're you're missing that loved one who's died and you wish you just could hold their hand once more, hear their voice once more in your ear. I want you to feel the hand of your shepherd companion holding yours and hear his voice say, I am with you. Ask anyone who's been through the valley and they will tell you that fellowship with their Savior was deep and it was sweet because the darker the valley, the closer the shepherd. And it's in the darkness, you see, when you, when you can't see, that he opens your ears that you can hear, I am with you. And now you want to confess that back to him in prayer. You are with me. Say it to him. Say it to him in your mind now. You are with me. In fact, isn't that one of the big themes of the Bible? God is with Adam and Eve in, in Eden. He promises Moses he'll be with him in Egypt. He lives with Israel in a tent and a temple. And he comes to earth enfleshed, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to be Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that what we're celebrating this week? You see, Psalm 23, it's an Advent text, isn't it? The Lord, the shepherd, the companion, the host. You see how he's presented to us in the psalm as a man. Anthropomorphic terms. So Christ comes in flesh, born of Mary, God with us. He lives and dies and rises and dwells with all his people with his people by his indwelling spirit. And he promises his disciples, I'll be with you to the end of the age until God will once again live with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. As Revelation tells us, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God with us. Makes everything worth it, doesn't it? I think I've got time just for two quick illustrations to leave you with. One from Christian biography, one from Christian fantasy. One for the older in here, one for the younger, but both are really for everyone. First, briefly from bi biography. As John Wesley, famous 
Methodist preacher was dying, many of his friends came to comfort him at his bedside with words from Scripture. At one point, Wesley managed to rally himself and sat up and said with all his might, yes, all these promises are true, but best of all, God is with us. And that's always all we need, isn't it? That's always enough in living and in dying. But the Lord is my companion. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the first illustration from Christian biography. Second illustration from Christian fantasy. For you young people, I think particularly for those who are getting towards teenage years, because following Jesus isn't easy when your body is changing and peer pressure is mounting. In C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, one of the children, Lucy, discovers that Aslan, who is the savior of Narnia, is a lion. She's nervous about meeting him, and she asks Mr. Beaver, is he quite safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. And so it is with your good shepherd, Jesus. He is the king, and he dies as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. But he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not safe in the way that the world sees safe. And it might seem scary for you as a young person where you follow where he leads you at times when you're mocked or outcast for being a Christian. But know this, you're perfectly secure in his presence. He is good and he is with you. He's directing and he's protecting. And that's all that counts. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word to us today. What a comfort it is to know the presence of the shepherd with us in the valley. I pray that you would increase our trust, even our joy in the knowledge of this as we walk forward on the pilgrim's progress. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's respond in song. Have you heard Jesus' voice today? If so, listen to these words from John chapter 10. Jesus' words, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. That's security. He's right next to you, Emmanuel, God with us. Go in peace.